Thank you for being with us, uh, Philippe Bahoshi. You are the CEO of uh, Magnet, and um, you're with us today on this um, podcast, a One Action Podcast by PepsiCo. Thank you very much for being with us. And I think I'm going to start the first question about Magnet. What is uh, Magnet? What do you do? Thank you. So pleasure being here and thank you for inviting me. Um, Magnet is a venture capital data platform. Uh, we cover all investments in venture capital, ranging from Africa to Southeast Asia, um, with all technology investments, research and analytics um, for decision makers. So our clients tend to be corporate, government, investors, VCs. And we track all the deal flow, the information about companies in this space and inform decision makers in whether it's policy or investments or exits on how better to understand the landscape. And, you know, like during this time, um, have you seen more interest in anything related to like companies related to sustainability and climate and, uh, and you know, like these, these uh, topics, if I may say, that are currently, you know, the talk. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll come into some data. We recently released a report with CE Ventures who are very into sustainability on the state of climate tech. But I think if you take a step back, venture capital is a little bit of a, a challenging concept to get your head around. So when you look at venture as an asset class, um, it's relatively nascent here in the region. I talk about the Middle East and North Africa. Mm. It's probably about 10 years old. And historically, until recent times where it's a bit more challenging, one of the concepts of venture is that it's scale at all costs. And so when they try to invest in companies, it's, are you solving a massive problem? Have you got a clear solution to a problem? Have you got a good team? Is there a big enough market, et cetera, et cetera. And it's an asset class, i.e. you can put money in a fixed deposit, you can invest in the stock market, you can invest um, in real estate. And if you want exponential growth, and while there's high rewards, there's high risks associated with venture capital, um, it's an asset class that some people allocate into. And the reason I give that kind of background is that when you then look into sustainability and climate tech, as a sector within that concept, mm. historically um, in emerging markets, it's not necessarily the industry of choice for VCs. Why? Because in the end, you want companies to either be bought or to IPO them. And when you look at what we have tracked and seen in the region, it's tended to be Kareem's acquisition by Uber, a logistics play, Souk's acquisition uh, by Amazon, an e-commerce platform, um, more identifiable industries that have acquirers from abroad. So you double click into sustainability and climate tech. One of the hesitations for investors is, is there someone that's going to acquire this company? Mm. And if we give you money, how big can you get? And is it an industry that has enough knowledge and employees and research and development that will make this a bet that we want to go into mm. now mm. versus one in the future? So when you characterize that, if you look at global markets, whether it's the US or European um, climate tech, they tend to be very heavily research and development focused university driven, government supported, 
And to date, just to kind of allow you to ask any questions around that, to date, that hasn't necessarily been the case here, albeit the report that we published shows that there is a growing interest in the space, albeit somewhat nascent. Mm. So you haven't seen so far more interest in climate tech? No, no, you have. So you've definitely seen more interest. I think the report highlights that there's been close to 250 investments in what we categorized as climate tech. Mm. And that was a challenge in itself in the report to kind of really highlight what is climate tech? Is it driving towards greenhouse efficiency? Is it um, supporting in sustainability? And so when you look at Again, as a data platform, you look at all the industries, are there financial services companies that may be focused on sustainability? Is there last mile delivery companies, but that are electric uh, focused? Mm. Um, And so you start mapping that out. And we have seen an evolution. I think 650 million has been raised across those 225 million deals, uh, 225 deals in the last five years, uh, which has been a CAGR of 62%. And if you look at winners in that space, you see companies like Yellow Door Energy that does kind of um, solar panel uh, energy. You Mm. see Pure Harvest, which many people might see when they go to uh, Waitrose that has been focused in food tech. And if you focus on the industries, it's horticulture, agriculture, um, solar energy. So there is an interest, but relative to the wider shall we call it venture capital space, Mm. it's still relatively small in terms of a segment thus far. Mm. And, you know, like if there are any entrepreneurs um, who are listening or watching and who are interested in that space, what would your advice be for them? Like what would be, you know, what, what is it that they need to do to actually be able to get that interest? So so firstly, it's it's understanding how the VC model works, which I kind of alluded to. Mm. And if you're pitching to an investor for venture capital, as opposed to a loan, a grant, uh, a research and development kind of uh, stipend from a university, if you're looking for venture as an asset class, is it a big market? I.e., is this a problem and solution that you look to solve, not for your city, not for your country, but is this potentially a global Mm, problem? It's something that you can scale. Scale. Scale is the name of the game in venture capital. The second thing is, is this a solution to a problem that is identifiable or is it nice to have? So in the climate space, can you identify and characterize an actual problem that exists, that you have found a solution. And again, it can you can be very creative in this space. If you're talking about LED lighting, if you're talking about fuel efficiency, if you're talking about, um, you, you see all the scooters that we have here, is that considered as potentially something that decreases carbon emissions because you're encouraging people to get rentals of um, scooters? I mean, those are kind of more basic concepts which don't necessarily involve as much research and development that exist abroad, um, but can be applied to here in the region. Um, But there are concepts that can actually be solved for using um, electric. Um, The other one is, do you have the talent that can solve that? I mean, climate is relatively specific. So where are you able to access the talent to really support you in scaling that venture? And ultimately, venture capital raising is like eliminating knows from a VC. A VC's normal reaction will be, no, I don't want to invest. And you have to convince them why you do. And by eliminating each of those answers and by doing your research on the industry, you're better able to kind of 
get funding from a venture mm. entity. Mm. And do you see that there are opportunities for climate tech in the MENA region? I mean, I think that you have to, but that it, it, I do think that a part of the trick is where is the government focusing on this? If you can align yourself with government initiatives, if you can align yourself with opportunities that exist at a government policy level, whether that's here in the GCC, whether it's the wider MENA region, you have a biggest chance of success um, than trying to find a problem that may not ne- ne- uh, re- uh, may not be um, linked to policy uh, from that perspective. And I say that because it takes a lot for climate change to be potentially interesting for a venture uh, capital entity to invest in. But if you can see that there's a government support angle to it, more importantly, are there concepts that exist abroad? I mean, when you look at the examples I gave you, Kareem, Souk, you look at um, Angami that just made a big announcement, mm. right? Many cases, they localize concepts and they localize products and um, companies that exist internationally that might be applicable and relevant to the region. So first thing you do is, is there potentially a copycat concept that cat could exist here in the region? The second is that we're, we're living in the middle of the desert. So when you start looking at opportunities that exist in line with government, there is a need to diversify away from natural resources. What are the technology companies that can enable that in terms of fuel efficiency and or capture of solar? You know that many of the government initiatives here in the region are to be independent in terms of food production. So there is a Mm. huge, that's why it reflects itself as the leading sector in terms of uh, the venture capital investment that's already taken place. Close to 50% just comes from agrotech in itself. So is that something that you can focus on? Water and the need for water is clearly something that is high on the agenda. But what are the technology tools, whether it's delivery, capture, tracking that can support that? So So I believe that there's endless opportunities, but it takes people to kind of identify what's the biggest opportunity and potentially get elements of government support to get them going before venture clearly jumps into the asset club. So Yellow Door Energy is a great example. They received a PPE buyout. It's a solar power, uh, solar energy company. They've had several rounds of VC investment. They have a private equity uh, buyout. Um, I talk about Pure Harvest, another good example uh, from that example, um, from that list. But success breeds success. Patience is required. Transparency of challenges is extremely important. I don't think that people necessarily talk as transparently about the challenges of a climate tech company Mm. as opposed to the wider venture capital, albeit I characterize them as somewhat similar. But I'm sure that if you speak to a founder of a climate tech company, they'll say there's even less support, less interest, less research, less um, availability of talent for something that is even more challenging than logistics and e-commerce. So Mm. um, patience capital, time, and success. And and what do you think the role that um, VC firms basically in the region can play to contribute to the growth of the climate tech in specific? It's a challenging question because I don't think it's the role of the VC. It's the role of the entrepreneur to show that there is a market for the companies that they're solving for. It is the role of the team to execute on the success. It's potentially the role of government to support, whether it be subsidy to focus on a segment that is slightly harder than more traditional. Mm. Um, It's access to talent, whether it's research and development and universities being able to support in the development. In in many cases in climate tech, I mean, if you take the the examples that I gave you, your your logistics startups, right? Um, 
it's an app. Yes, there's people picking up and dropping off and there's a human element to it. But the, the success of the venture is the scalability using an app. When you start going into climate tech, when you're talking about the two examples I gave you, solar panels, that's hardware. That's, that's a much more capex, expensive infrastructure development and uh, expenditure. If you look at Pure Harvest, it's, it's huge infrastructures for, for um, production of vegetables in the, des uh, the desert sustainably. Those are huge capex expenditures versus trying to create um, websites using AI that control the internet. Mm. That scares VCs because of the need for high capex for scalability, but it's the job of the founders to prove that there's a big enough market that excites them for that payoff, that unicorn dream. And I think that's, it's not the VC's role. They need to have the appetite to invest in the segment. So maybe you could say better education about the segments that they're investing in if it's appealing to them, but it's also the role of the entrepreneur to be able to highlight why they are differentiated and better than the opportunity cost. I know we've spoke about this already. We've spoken about, you know, like some of the examples, but you, if you are to think about a successful uh, climate tech uh, company, uh, which one would it be? I think the two I mentioned, Yellow Door Energy and Pure Harvest. I mean, if you put the benchmark of success in terms of exit, Yellow Door Energy had a private equity buyout um, so that they've proven it in a, in a specific market. Pure Harvest, you can literally go to any shop and you'll see uh, their names all over the space. You, you see uh, Red Sea Farming, you see others that are coming and emanating out of the UAE that are, that are kind of looking at the logistics of food consumption, uh, food waste. So there are many different companies, but if you're talking about success, and again, I'm mm. not a big fan of putting uh, a metric of funding as a, as a success, but it's an indication of did you capture the interest of people to give you enough money? Those would be two uh, examples that are really kind of talked of specifically in the climate tech space. Mm. And how do you see um, this unfolding, you know, like in the future? Do you see that you know, there should be more investment in climate tech specifically, given the challenges that we are living. I, I can't see how it doesn't go away. I mean, every challenge that we're seeing can be related and solved for using technology. I think the fact that we've had COP27 in Egypt, COP28 um, taking place here in the UAE is shining a massive spotlight I really applaud the team at CE Ventures for encouraging us to publish the content because I think the most important thing is to talk about transparency of information, transparency of data. So even though we are highlighting that the amount of funding is still relatively small, you've set a benchmark. So the question becomes for a government policymaker, and we, we asked what Magnet was and we're educating those people, mm. right, what do we need to do to double that and then triple that? And then it's not our job to kind of solve that problem, but at least you have the numbers, the companies, the type of companies. You can go out and survey the founders of those companies and ask them what the biggest challenges they're facing as opposed to other people in the segment. You can survey the investors to say, why is it that you're hesitant to invest in this space? And what can we do to allay some of those concerns? Uh, and so you kind of look at the different stakeholders within that industry, but I don't think that any of those challenges are going away. Mm. And if technology can help solve them, it needs to be driven by the market in terms of capitalism, of getting founders to start companies, invest in them, but it needs to be driven by something else. And whether that's government 
education, the wider consortium of the region, so it's not government specific and it's a higher body similar to COP and the different entities, but it's really to kind of catalyze, right, we've identified these are the challenges, here are the opportunities, these are the things that we're going to do to try and remove some of those challenges, how do we spur on and drive more founders to kind of solve for climate tech solutions, which ultimately when it comes to greenhouse emissions and sustainability are going to be challenges that maintain throughout the next decades, if not Mm. our lifetime. Mm. And beyond climate tech, what are the opportunities that you see now? In the region? Yeah. If you want to look at parallels of other things that are still challenging, you can look at education tech. You still haven't seen the amount of capital in education tech um, to justify the need for solving for education. Healthcare tech is still underserved. And it kind of goes back to your first question of why are those industries not getting um, as much capital as you would assume? Mm. It's because the venture market in the region is still nascent. In any emerging market, logistics, transport, e-commerce is the first to get disrupted because it's almost like there's a playbook. It's a clear problem. There are solutions. You can apply them from abroad, bring them to the region, And there's potentially an acquirer. The next one to get disrupted tends to be financial services because it is a clear pain point, many of which, and this is kind of counterintuitive, but in so much as every one of those affects every one of us daily. Logistics Mm, is mm. a daily. I need to get a car to come here. I need to buy things to get food. I need to send money to people. Sometimes the challenge with climate tech is to identify how does it affect you on a daily basis. And if you can't work out what that problem is, then it's sometimes considered a nice to have. Now we know en masse, it's a massive challenge, but how that applies to you and how you can make a difference in your day-to-day life is the biggest part of that challenge. Similarly with education, you still got schools. The other part of the problem is there's always gonna be an alternative. Education, you go to schools. Healthcare, you go to a doctor. What is the part of the technology there that can be solved for um, using uh, tech-based appliances? Hence, what is it that you can do really to solve for the climate tech agenda uh, using technology? Mm. I wanted to um, ask you about, you know, why do you think it's important that COP is happening here in this region? And, you know, how these startups can play a role as well in um, you know, being part of, of that process and part of the, the solutions and the objectives as well that come out of, of, uh, of COP? I think it's, it's, it's a summary of all the things we've been talking about. It's shining a light on an industry. It's shining a light on a challenge. It's creating discourse and transparency of information. It's, I believe that's the whole showcasing of startups that's going to be taking place at the COP28 pavilion. I know there's a mandate to kind of highlight what those solutions are. I go back to, you don't know what you don't know. So if you start discovering them, whether you agree that they're good or bad, or whether they're, um, they require funding or not, you won't know until you start meeting them. And If you want to change and solve these issues, then you need to be able to talk freely about them, both the positive things about them as well as the challenges that they're facing. And being able to host that here means that you can really localize some of those issues. A bit like what you saw with Expo, people begin to come and discover what's happening here. And if that inspires some people to come and set up here, 
be aware of challenges that they were unaware of because they've never visited the UAE or the Middle East. That really inspires people to start identifying challenges that they can help solve for. And I think that dialogue with the support of um, the leadership, the support of leadership both at a regional level, UAE level, down at a Dubai level and uh, Abu Dhabi Emirate level, you can really help try and bring people together. And that's ultimately the goal of these type of institutions that we've seen and parallels of that, whether it be COP27 that was in Egypt, when mm. you was um, events like uh, Expo that really proved bringing people to the UAE that were not aware of it in the midst of COVID and seeing what the UAE was able to offer really illuminated dialogue, conversation, and ultimately you solve those problems, you get investment. Thank you so much, Philip, for being with us today. It's really been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.